and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder's latest game against the Phoenix Suns. Just the lottery race in general after what we saw on Sunday. And then I want to talk about Alexei Pokushevsky and Olivier Saar, both of which had major games in their last performance. And to round it all out, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But starting things out in Oklahoma City, OKC going up against the best team in the league in the Phoenix Suns. They're looking to pick up their 63rd win to go into kind of their franchise record books here. But OKC walked into this one, undermanned as always, no SGA, no Lou, no Giddy, nine guys in all are out from the rotation, and then for the Suns, they weren't playing with DeAndre Ayton or Devin Booker, but they still had a sturdy foundation, Chris Paul was making his return uh, back to the Paycom because he hadn't played uh, last season there, last time we saw him suited up was in March of 2020 in the Paycom slash, you know, Chesapeake energy arena so he was there alongside Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson kind of as those uh, those main group of guys but when you went into this game there were some high stakes Oklahoma City has been on the doorstep of top three lottery odds all season long I continue to talk about it every podcast continues to talk about it because it could end up being pretty damn significant and the way that it works is the top three seeds or the three worst teams at the end of the season have identical odds for the first pick and a shot at a top four selection. It's a 14% chance at the number one pick and a 52.1% shot at falling into the top four. Once you go down to the fourth selection, that's when you see things kind of go backwards a little bit. You go to 12.5% as your shot at that first pick. And then you free fall to 48.1% for a top four selection. So if you want to increase your chances, you want to be at the top of the board. And, you know, kind of for like enhanced stakes, you know, the worst team in the league can only fall down to five. Second worst can only go to six, three, seven, four, eight. You don't want to, you know, go out and get the eighth pick when you've been losing the entire season. And Oklahoma City had their second shot of the calendar year to take a bottom three lottery odd. The Detroit Pistons, who defeated the Thunder Friday, won their game against the Indiana Pacers, 121 to 117. Indiana has been one of the coldest teams in the NBA lately. They've lost seven games in a row, and they're kind of trying to encroach upon OKC's territory, actually. They're only one and a half games behind them believe it or not, but you started to see some of their other guys pop off, like Frank Jackson at 26 against the Thunder uh, in the last game. He had 19 against the Pacers. Sadiq Bey had 31. Carson Edwards, who they just got off of uh, the G League ranks, had 13 points and 9 assists, so everyone chipped in and got that W, and it made it that, you know, if Oklahoma City lost against the Phoenix Suns, they would slide into the top three for lottery odds. That's big time. That's the goal that 
everyone's been looking at in terms of that long-term perspective. And when you assess, you know, who they're playing, obviously the Thunder are going to be major underdogs. Even if you take out Devin Booker and even if you take out DeAndre Ayton, that's a playoff team and benches typically are going to be pretty damn strong if you were the best team in the NBA. So once you tip off, you see the Suns just play Suns basketball. doesn't matter who's out of the rotation. They're going to dominate against the Thunder team that's significantly undermatched on paper. Maladone and Crenshaw are the one and two. Wiggins and Poku round out the forwards and Roby's at the five. That's a piece of cake for them. So they go into this game and six minutes in, they're already up by 12 points. They went on a 10-0 run to really just gut out the Thunder. It was 17-5 off of a Cam Johnson and one. And then you start to see the tables turn just a little bit. The starters are still out there for Phoenix, but OKC had a 10-2 run of their own to draw the game to two inside three minutes. By the end of it, Phoenix got on another mini run. They were up 27-20. But all things considered, Oklahoma City did an insane job at kind of hindering the Suns because, you know, this is the best team in the league. You can see points go up in a hurry for them, and there's a lot of different assets that they have on this team. Mikael Bridges can get things going. Cam Johnson never seems to miss against OKC. So keeping it to 27 is right where you want it to be, and they limited them to a 2 of 11 output from downtown, which really helped out their cause as you got into that second quarter though you started to see okc take advantage of phoenix's just lapses from three-point land started on a 14 to 9 run put them inside two points and it was really stuck at about one possession for the majority of that second quarter and then you start seeing a ton of just passes, cross-court passes, running around the court, make some off-ball motions, and it was getting Phoenix just super-duper confused. Game got tied off an Alexi Pokushevsky no-look pass. He found Vit Krejci right under the cup. He tied the game at 49. And then, at the buzzer, Isaiah Roby got the ball at half-court, kind of fumbled it a little bit, picked it off the hardwood, launched a 28-footer, and it was good. So OKC was only down one point going into halftime. 53-52. to 52, Basically just wiped all momentum the Suns had built in the first six minutes of the game. And they were the ones going into halftime with the smiles on their faces. They're going to be the underdog going into this game. The Suns probably thought they got a cakewalk of a victory here. But this is a really close battle. And when you look at what the Thunder were doing... They had a lot of different options. Jeremiah Robinson Earl was as hot as a pistol in the first half. He had 11 points on 4 of 4 shooting. Had multiple players with 7 points as well. But the big thing was that they were spreading the floor out. They shot 11 of 25 in the second. That's 44% for the half. And Phoenix still could not buy a bucket from downtown four of 19 from distance that's 21.1 percent and you only had two real scores here and mikhail bridges and landry shamit bridges had 12 points shamit had 10 outside of that it was just brick after brick cam johnson was 0 of 6 from downtown in the first half he's known for being that sharpshooter he came into this game in a slump 
couldn't really rattle it. And going into the third quarter, it just continued to be that way. OKC kept the Suns right in distance to open the second half, and then they got exactly what they needed. They went on an 8-0 run mid-quarter, almost entirely off of the fast break. And let me kind of break down what we saw in Phoenix's end. So they start their half-court set at the top of the key, kind of usual. You can throw a high ball screen up there if you wish. Shanimit, Payne, Paul, that's your point guard, kind of gets into that mid-range. And what you started to see was at the right corner, OKC started to kind of hedge. They were looking to play the paint because the three ball was just so bad. And Phoenix is a good three-point shooting team. So they kept kicking it out to the corner after they saw additional pressure, and it was just a miss. Right off that miss, you'd see the ball go right into a Thunder player's hands, kick it out in the fast break, two-on-one situation. You got Credchi, Poku, Maladone, all these passers running that offense. They're going to make good reads when they're moving downhill, and they're going to put up points on the board. So they got them up seven points, almost entirely off of just that rinse and repeat. You know, the Suns miss a three ball, you go on the other end, and that's all you really had to do. The Suns kind of remain that way where they were not just in a shooting funk but just in general they were playing awful in this third quarter we're talking multiple possessions in a row where campaign barely gets past the timeline before bobbling it and it going the other way it was just a catastrophe a catastrophe for them like i can't think of a a better word to describe it anything that could have gone wrong went wrong for them in the quarter and at some moments, OKC had actually been up double digits in the third. They walked into the fourth quarter up 84 to 75, and that's about all all that needed to be said there. I mean, when you break down the stats of the third, that was kind of the turning point in this game because you went from it being kind of a, you know, a toss-up. Phoenix is probably going to come into the second half with more of a game plan. OKC just wants to continue to keep that pace up and yeah they collapsed phoenix shot one for nine on threes in the frame okc shot two of eight which is not great either but they just kept running towards the rim outscored them 32 to 22 in the period and in the fourth quarter you saw monty williams play his starting core they were looking to win the game this wasn't one where you know, OKC got that 10-point lead and they threw the towel in. Phoenix is still trying to win games here. Even though they've got that one seed locked up pretty firmly, they want to get that momentum swinging. They only have about four games remaining on schedule here. Want to iron out as many wins as you can, kind of get those kinks out from the roster. And this is how you do it. You got a team like Oklahoma City on the schedule. This is where you experiment. This is where you kind of press the issue and hope that there's some success. But there was no success to be had. And in the fourth quarter, it stayed that way. Oklahoma City just could not miss a bucket, man. They went up by 20 points a little bit over midway through the fourth quarter. They climbed it up to 22 at its peak. And everybody was eating for Mark Dagnall's crew. Alexei Pokushevsky, he had 7 points, 5 rebounds, and 6 assists in the 4th. Played 10 of the 12 minutes there. Basically ran point guard. I mean, insane for him to be putting that output on the board. And 
in the final moments of the game, probably last minute, Poku had 15 points, 9 rebounds, and 11 assists. Just needed one board to get a triple-double. That'd be his first in his career. Gets the ball at the left block. Misses a layup. Just babies it. I mean, the ball, like, ricochets right back to him, obviously, but just grabs it again, throws it down on the Suns player. Looked like he was playing on a Nerf hoop. Picked up his triple-double. And that's not even the greatest part. You got everybody else eating as well. Olivier Saar had 14 points in the fourth quarter. 5 of 5 from the field. 3 of 3 from downtown. One of his makes came off of a runner that looked like he didn't even see the rim until it went off his fingertips. He had JaVale McGee pressed right up on him, but he didn't seem phased. And nobody seemed phased on the Thunder roster in the quarter. They shot 13 of 24, 4 of 8 from downtown, and outscored the Suns 33 to 21. And they had their starters out. Chris Paul played 4 minutes. Cam Johnson played 8 of them. Mikhail was out there for 4 minutes as well. It took them time to throw the towel in. And once they threw it in, it was just salt to the wounds, really. Oklahoma City arguably had their best game in the last two months post all-star break we haven't seen a beat down like this and it came from their bench unit all of these guys came out of the g league system in this game and they're doing this to a championship contender i know booker's gone i know ayton's gone you throw them in probably a different outcome but that's still a very respectable team that you had and this game once again just reinforces that everybody on the thunder rotation is fighting for an extra opportunity they know okc will not have as many roster spots to hand out next year you're going to get three to four draft selections in there have to worry about the offseason it's going to be a tight race you got to make a statement and not just for the thunder but for all 30 teams in the league this is what you have to do great game for them I'm going to talk about the numbers, talk about the lottery impact in one second here. But first, I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks, and big wins. As the action rolls on at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you'll have your shot to win big too. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right, a bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $1 on any NHL team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21 plus age requirements, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. But guys, 
moving into the numbers from this game and really just the entire outlook. This is a game where if you're in the tanking camp, you probably are not that happy. This is one where it seemed fairly certain you would end up losing the game. Based on the game prior with the Pistons, it would put you in the top three exactly where everybody wanted. And then they just pull that complete 180 where once you're that close, it just gets taken right away from you, man. Kind of feels like that Clippers game from last year where you could have avoided that coin flip. Now, they won it anyways, but you had the shot to move past the Cleveland Cavaliers and then Josh Hall drops 25 points. Poku has 29 points. And you win. And everybody goes crazy. Now, I don't think this is on the same level at all. But I'll tell you what. Once this game happened, and once the outcome was really evident, you started to see people getting a little bit upset about it on social media. And that's understandable. Like, if you're looking towards the long term, you want to have the best odds. You want to really lose these games, lose out to get those draft odds, but it just doesn't work out, you know, I'm kind of of that mindset where, yes, I really do want the Thunder to have the best draft odds, but you also have to value, you know, what we have right now in this current roster, and it sucks because you look at the team, and it's a ton of guys that are on rookie contracts, 10-day deals, you don't really see a future with them, but they're fighting, man, and you have to respect that right now. Olivier Saar mentioned in his post-game interviews that like every game for him is a new job interview. And you can't really fault him for that. You know, he got picked off of a two-way contract. He didn't even think he'd be in this situation when the year started. Now, he's coming off of his best game as a pro and he's looking to build on it. You know, these aren't games that they're walking into the arena looking to lose. They want to make this a beatdown for the other team. They want to have their 30-point performance. They want to have a scout have a positive review on them, you know? And you have to respect it. So, obviously, yeah, the picks matter. But also, these guys are fighting. You cannot just throw them to the wayside and say, you know what? No. We need lottery picks. Is that something that would be awesome? Absolutely. But whatever the end result is here... It's it's what it is because the lottery is going to be so crazy anyways, you never know what happens. And without hindsight, you really can't make much predictions. You know, like OKC won the coin flip last year, but they are at six and the Cavs who lost that coin flip were number two and got Evan Mobley or number three, excuse me, and got Evan Mobley out of the deal. So like just go into there with whatever expectations you have. I don't think it's worth getting just hypercritical over the win-loss column right now. I do kind of agree, though, that like it would be ideal to kind of drop some of these games. But this has been a perfect outlet for some of these guys to really prove themselves. Definitely a great game for Alexei Pokushevsky. He finished the night with 17 points, 10 rebounds, and 11 assists. First career triple-double. He does it coming out from having the flu. So you kind of put him on the same wavelength as Jordan, right? Where Jordan had a big game after the flu. Poku had a big game after the flu. I'm not saying it, y'all. I'm not saying it, but the idea is there. <laughs> um, but yeah, like after that injury, you know, he comes in and 
absolutely destroys them, man. They just couldn't compete with his size in this game. And it's not that Phoenix doesn't have big guys. Like, JaVale McGee is a center, you know? Bismack Biombo is a center. But they're more on that flat-footed side. And for Poku, he's not really a center anyways, right? Like, he has that frame. He's seven feet tall. But he's more of that four. And for Cam Johnson, guys like Tory Craig... That's not a very good matchup to have on your hands. They really needed to have some extra reinforcements. They just didn't have it. And as a result, Poku was able to tap inside for, you know, multiple shots around the basket and just penetrate and find people off of those dribble drives. But the one thing that was very impressive was he tied it all up with the three ball. Poku's release is very fast. It's an awkward release because he launches it not too high up, right? Like typically you're going to see the release where it's almost a straight vertical motion. You want to have the the shot go off at its highest possible point. With Poku, it almost looks like a chest shot, you know, like when you're a second grader and who can't shoot with one hand just yet. It kind of looks like that where, you know, he, he kind of pushes it off and it's not much of that like upwards motion. He does it around the head. That's kind of where the release point would be for him. But because it's so fast and because he's so tall, it's been able to work. It's not been a shot that gets blocked significantly. And, I mean, he was unfazed in this game. He shot three of five from downtown. One of them was a transition pull-up three right in somebody's face. And it's just hard to react to it. So he was virtually just like unguardable in some sense of the game. And when he was heading downhill, he was just such a major threat because, you know, He understands floor spacing better than most guys in the league, better than most forwards in the league. And he just is able to find you. Downward speed is going to be solid enough. If it's a three-on-one, it's going to be a bucket virtually every time with him. And he was kind of going into like his own element where he started reaching back into his like G League days. He threw this like alley-oop and the alley had to go like, over the cylinder i believe because he was on the left side olivier sar was on the right side running to the basket he lobs it up it wasn't the greatest pass right like it was still technically in range for olivier but it could have been better olivier almost got like a slam dunk contest type dunk where he had to catch it with his right hand or uh, yeah yeah it would have been his right hand Almost had to do a back scratcher dunk where he had to cock it back down just to catch it properly and just throw it down. If he would have caught that, that might have trumped his Santa Cruz game where he literally tore down the rim and it took 20 minutes to fix it. That was just my favorite play of the evening. And for him, there were multiple different ones where you saw the footwork on display, him just bully balling his way around the cup at like two, 200 pounds, all of it just fun, just a fun talent, and the timing's always fun, too, because just as I talked about, Poku had his career high as a rookie against the LA Clippers in the final game of the season. This year, this wasn't his career in points, but for points accounted for, I wouldn't be shocked if this set the new bar for him. Just, he was a clear number one this game, though. You didn't have a like tried and true point guard Poku became that and he did one hell of a job Olivier Saar also had 
just a great outing. He came off the bench, only played 22 minutes, but he dropped 24 points and 6 rebounds to go along with 2 blocks on the game. 9 of 12 from the field, 5 of 6 from downtown. A couple of these shots for Olivier were like cherry picking ones where he was the beneficiary off of them taking corner threes and just shanking them. But there were also some where he had to work, dude. And he was still playing against centers and McGee and Biombo, who have been around for like almost a decade, right? They've solidified their spots in the league. With McGee, he's athletic. He has a good understanding in the pick and roll. With Biombo, really good rebounder. Same thing where you can kind of bring him up top for screens. That's a fair matchup. And I think if you're looking at Sar's trajectory, he's not ever going to be the guy wowing you, but it'll be a solid bench contributor. He played better than both of them in this game. And it wasn't just off the interior because, yes, he did a great job off of dump off passes. And he had a couple of like really good runners and even a like post hook that he got off over Biombo. But the three ball was what was ridiculous. And with him, he's kind of in that mixture. Whenever I, I like comparing them to guys in the system already. And he seems like that blend of. Omer Yurt 7 and Moses Brown a little bit, but you can't really hone in on either of them, right? Like, he's not a good rebounder or as good of a rebounder as probably either of them. Definitely not as athletic as Brown. He's more athletic than Yurt 7, but he has a decent hook. His jumper is not insanely fast, but he's really grown in the mid range and he's even tapped out to the three point land. And, you know, for me, that means that he could be a decent fill-in guy that plays 10 to 15 minutes for you moving forward shoots five of six on threes in this game anywhere you wanted to find him he was gonna hit it and once they started stepping up that's when he went right back to the basket if you can get him working not just in the pick and roll but also in that pick and pop to where he can kind of fade to the mid-range or even go out to three that's where you start looking at him uh, under a magnifying glass. And he's been under one this whole time because he got signed to that two-way contract. He has had some really good moments in the G League. Like, as a bench player, he was insanely efficient, just like Omer, which is why I think they probably looked at him more at this level. But, I mean, there's obviously something there. You know, he's had a couple good games you could tell he's a good shot blocker. You could tell he has it down at least from a pick and roll standpoint. I don't know if the spot is going to be around for him, but these next four will be huge in terms of kind of placing himself on that ladder come tryout time and free agency time if anybody really wants to show interest in him. But those two really stood out to me. Once you look beyond those guys, Aaron Wiggins, he had a good game, dropped 17 points on six of nine shooting. Really no three-pointers here for him. I mean, he was all just about driving around, and because of how just weak they were on the interior, it makes sense why he just kept going at them, and it worked wonders, really. And it worked wonders for some other guys, too. Vid Krejci finished the game with 11 points and 8 rebounds, went 5 of 5, or 5 of 15 from the field, excuse me, and 0 of 5 from 3. That's been his calling card up until the last two games. He was shooting about 42% on triples. That was leaning rookies for a moment in time. 
it's dropped now. And we're starting to get back to those levels of kind of where I expected him to be, like the low to mid 30% from downtown. And that's a win for me because he really didn't have a ton of threes in his bag at Zaragoza. But the inside game was beautiful. A lot of transition feeds were given to Kredchi. When it comes to just cutting from the wing, he's also been very impressive there. That's what you saw in this one. And he's been able to really go through contact to try to put down buckets. So I was impressed with that. Roby also was kind of about running inside. He had 11 points as well. Lindy was the last man um, to drop 10 in the game. I think probably final two or three minutes, he finally got up there. He shot four of 12. And Jeremiah Robinson Earl had his best game post-injury. He had 14 points in 15 minutes, 5 of 6 from the floor. Only guy, or I guess there would be two, but the only guy who played significant minutes who didn't graze double digits was Teo Maladon. The 20-point streak ended on Sunday, only had 9 on the game, and for Jalen Horde, he finished with 4 points and four rebounds. Can't complain here, guys. I mean, it's going to be fun to talk about this SAR game or whatever game ends up getting kind of utilized as the scapegoat if things don't go the Thunder's way next month. But you got to appreciate what we had here. In the moment, it was kind of a heartbreaker if you're looking to get those ping pong balls. But once you settled and were like, yeah, we're winning this game, for me, it was very fun to watch. When Sar was rising up for post hooks, when Poku was just doing whatever Poku does, I was all about it. And I think the beauty of it is, if OKC gets a good draft pick this year, that's going to be the mindset. It's really not going to be about trying to intentionally lose games anymore. At least, I don't think it's going to be that way. So either you win games or you lose games. Probably a play-in type team that you're you're looking at here, if all healthy. And you're going to be rooting for guys like Sar to have these games. You're going to be rooting that Teo has 20-point games when injuries are abundant. Right now, people aren't really on that same page. I think it will change eventually, and I think that's going to lead to some very fun basketball moving into the future. And it's going to be very tense in this last week, I was going to say it'd be fun basketball down the down the stretch here. I don't think so. OKC has four more games on the season. Right now, they're fourth in reverse standings, sitting at 23-55. and 55. They had their chance at cracking to the top three. Now it's gone. Completely different outlook on things as you get into it now. The Houston Rockets and the Orlando Magic have pretty much locked themselves into top two seeds. They're three games away from Detroit, three and a half games from OKC. Both of them have three games left on the year. I don't see them moving. This is a race for third in reverse standings, and it could get interesting. Now Detroit, they had their two wins in a row, right? Or Actually, they've won three in a row because they beat Philly. They beat the Thunder, and now they have beaten Indiana. Their path is not going to be as easy anymore. You know, these two games that they had were very winnable games. I think if you put the Thunder against the Pacers, they very well could defeat the Indiana Pacers. You look at what they have on schedule now, though. They got to face the Chicago Bulls, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Memphis Grizzlies. 
The Bucks and the Grizz are like Goliaths. Maybe you make it close against Chicago, but I think them losing out is probably the most likely outcome. So that's not great for OKC. One silver lining is OKC has four games left. Detroit has three games left. If OKC loses out their last four, at bare minimum, it comes down to a coin toss for the number three odds. If not, they're probably going to be at four. But now, there's another team that you might have to worry about. The Indiana Pacers. They have lost seven games in a row to this point, and they're only one and a half games away from OKC. Just like the Thunder, they're in the boat where they're looking at their final week of games. They have three remaining. OKC still has four. So that's an advantage for OKC. I want to clarify that. But OKC has a very winnable game tomorrow. They play the Portland Trailblazers. They've dropped seven in a row. They're playing Kelvin Benjamin, 40 minutes a game. If he's going to be on the roster tomorrow, CJ Ellaby is getting 40 minutes in the game. That's the tank battle that trumps all tank battles. If OKC wins that, now Detroit is basically on an island and they're fighting for who's going to be four and who's going to be five, just like things came down to last year. That's where you start rolling the dice. I don't know where it lands. You hope OKC sticks at four. Ideally, you go down to three. But you got to keep in mind that there's Indiana on your rearview mirror. And they're losing a lot of games. They're not playing many people. It's going to be a tight race down the stretch. OKC's done on Sunday. Postseason starts probably the week after that. And then we'll get into more of that offseason action and what might come from the roster. Very odd feeling that the season's coming to a close. This one felt actually shorter than last year's 72-game season. Maybe it was because the summer was so condensed. But yeah, home stretch here. About to kick off playoff basketball. Obviously, OKC's not there. But they're going to have a lot of decisions to make over the offseason. And they could be a pretty big player moving forward so that's going to do it for today's episode i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya